If you can turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. And for those who may not know me and for those who um, I'm a little more excitable uh, than Pastor Tim, my wife was telling me yesterday she, 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 she attended a birthday party. I won't tell you who, whose birthday party that was. But in that discussion, uh, there's some discussion about me being excitable, and I am. So I'm not going to make any excuses about it. Um, and today, this morning, we're going to get into First uh, Timothy, and I, I'll explain why. Um, and today's message is called Devotion to the Gospel. Devotion to the Gospel. In my travel with my wife this summer, we happened to go back home, her home, Malaysia. And I started thinking about my life. I started thinking about what my legacy is going to be when it all ends my life. And I started thinking about my mom, my dad, started thinking about Regen, started thinking about the next generation. And I asked myself, if someone were to ask what Sal's all about, what would I want them to say? And the answer to that was that I was devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here in 1 Timothy, you have Paul writing not only what we know as pastoral epistles, right? 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Writing it to a young pastor named Timothy. But he's also writing a personal letter to a young man who he probably led to Christ. And we know that from Acts chapter 14. We understand that Paul went to Lystra, where Timothy lived, and he probably led this man, this young man, to Christ. We later find out that Timothy went along with Paul on his second and third missionary journeys. And Timothy was just a young man, probably about 17 years old when he first went with Paul. But there was something special about 1 Timothy, or or about Timothy, that attracted Paul to him. We know from Acts chapter 16 that the men of Lystra and Lyconium had good things to say about Timothy. He was an awesome young man. We also know that this young man must have done, must have been fantastic in this sense that he was of one mind with Paul.
there have been people in my life that I can say have been of one mind with me. And one of them is seated on the first row today at this church. And his name is Frank. I didn't know he was going to sit in the first row, but he decided to. He usually sits in the back row. When someone can finish your sentences, have you been there? When someone understands your thought, when you don't have to explain yourself, isn't it wonderful? I knew my wife was going to be my wife, not just because she could put up with me, because she's the only one who could, to be completely honest, but because she understood me through and through. And here's this young man, Timothy, who just got Paul, and Paul got him. And Paul decided that he was just going to pour himself out to this young man. As I get older, and I am getting older, and so are you guys, all right? Look around. Look around. You're getting older. I know that's a hard concept. As I'm getting older, I'm looking around, and I just have the pleasure of having young men and young women that God has given me that I can pour myself out to. Because one of those young men and those young women will be amazing for the Lord and are amazing for the Lord and are going to do and outstrip me ten times over. And Timothy, as he's looking at Paul, this man who's taken him under his wing, he not only looks at him as a father figure, he looks at him as a hero. He is a hero to Timothy. And many of us may not consider ourselves heroes, right, in this world, but you are. Because there are grandchildren and children. There are friends and neighbors. There are co-workers that look at you as a hero. Because you're consistent. You're there. You always lend them an ear to listen to them. And you pray mostly for them. And so today, it's not only devotion to gospel, because you are the gospel, guys, for many people. You are the heroes of the faith. Can you say hero? Because you are. Hero. Say it. Hero. You are. And so as we roll in today into this lesson and we look at First Timothy. I, I want you to have that in mind. 
Because many of us walk around this world not thinking much of ourselves. And you have to understand that to God's economy, you're amazing. And you're heroes. So with that, let's go in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you right now and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for today. And I just pray, Lord, as we sit here and we think to ourselves what it is you want us to speak into our lives, Lord Father, that it be so ever so clear to us that not only are you a hero to us, but we are a hero to others. And that we just need to be devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ in order, Lord Father, to walk righteously before you. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Paul's introducing himself as to who he is. And we know it's a, it's a typical introduction of Paul, right, that he's an apostle. But it's something interesting that I want you to take note because it's the only time that he says it. He says it twice. And he says he of the command of God. Not only am I an apostle of God, right, sent to you, I am commanded to this. He often used, if you look at all of the epistles and you look at all of what he wrote, he often said, by the will of God. And that's true, by the will of God. In these two, in First and Second Timothy, he uses by the command of God. Why do you think he used by the command of God? I'm going to postulate to you that he used by the command of God because he understood Timothy. He understood Timothy's frame. Timothy was timid. He was a sickly person, we're told, right? He, he was a little cowardice at times. He didn't need to be, but that was his character. And so Paul, understanding the audience, Timothy, understood that he needed to say, Hey, Timothy, you can't run away. As I'm commanded by the Lord, so are you. We're commanded, I am commanded to do God's will. Listen, there are times when all of us probably at some point in our lives, in certain areas of our lives, just want to run away. Is that you? Because that's been me. And we're going to find later on that that's exactly what was going on with Timothy. He wanted to run away. He didn't want to do it anymore. He wanted to quit. He wanted to pack it in and just go back home. Have you ever felt that way? There was one time in my life And just recently, someone asked me that that's exactly what I wanted to do. It was early when I moved to New Jersey. I had Many of you guys don't know this story, but I was engaged to be married, and it wasn't Sharon Kahn. And I had just broken up my engagement, and my mom and my dad 
were calling me and saying, come back home. Home's where it's at. And I wasn't even following the Lord, but I remember just praying to God and saying, Lord, if you're real, what do you want me to do? And I heard, first time in my life, I heard God's voice say, no, you got to stick it out because I have something for you. And I had no clue what it was that he was saying, but I knew the trust, the voice of God. And so in many of our lives, that's exactly, we just want to quit. We want to quit on our marriages. Yes, ladies and men, look at each other. Sometimes you do, right? You want to quit. It's too hard. Sometimes we just want to quit jobs. Sometimes we want to quit school because it's just too hard. You want to do something else. There's so many different things that you just want to quit on. And God says, through Paul to Timothy, it's by command. I can't quit. And it reminds me of Jeremiah, guys. Because Jeremiah had a specific call in his life from the time that he was born. And in chapter 20 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, forget this. I'm done. But then Jeremiah said, but there was something, there was a fire in my stomach that the words of God had to come out. And that's what I'm telling you, that we are called to into our marriages, into our jobs, into our relationships, into our friendships, by command of God, because you've been placed there for a purpose and a reason. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy. Then he says this to Timothy in chapter in verse two, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Feel those words. Feel those words, my true son in the faith. This week I was thinking about this really hard and Wednesday I knew I was be up here on Sunday and I oftentimes my wife knows this and, and others in my circle inner circle know this I used to call my mom on a Wednesday night right after church it was the only time I, I would get to talk to her alone without my dad interrupting um, and I would call her Wednesday night she knew exactly when I would be calling it would be after church and I would get to talk to her. Well, I don't get to do that anymore, right? Because my mom's not around. But this Wednesday, I was just talking to her as I normally would. As I was rolling down Upper Mountain. And I remember my mom in her sweet voice. She would say, Saulito, Saulito. And I imagined that in my head as I was talking to her. And oftentimes that's all we need. That little reminder that someone out there considers you a, a true son and daughter. That you're loved. That you're not forgotten. And if you put yourself in Timothy's shoes, he was a little afraid, right? He, was about, he wants to give up. And his father comes by him and says, Timothy, you're my true son. I love you. 
And so many of us just need that voice. You're loved. I love you. Then he says this in the latter part of verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from the God the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's really funny because, again, this is Paul's normal um, introduction, right? Grace and peace. Only three times in all of Scripture, Paul adds mercy. And that's in 1, 2, Timothy, and Titus. Why? Because he was talking about and talking to two young men who he spent a long time with, that who he loved dearly, and he understood that they needed mercy. Right? Why? Because there were young pastors who made some mistakes, who didn't know what to do, who didn't get it right. And so this is a self-plug. I need mercy too. I'm a young pastor who doesn't get it right sometimes. All right? And I'm sure you all can say, Amen, Sal, we know. (laughs) All right, don't worry about it. Eddie, Joe beat you back there. He was shaking his head way way earlier. Um, he, He needed mercy. Right? And what's mercy? Right? It's not getting what you deserve. It's not getting what you deserve. Thank God we don't get what we deserve in Christ Jesus. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to get to Timothy. He's trying to reach him. Then he says this in verse 3. He says, As I urge you, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. There it goes. Do you get it now? Timmy, don't leave. I know you want to leave. Timmy, you got to stay there and make your way. Why? Because there's a bigger call to your life. There's a bigger call to your life. There's something that you need to do. I know it's hard, Timmy. And I'm purposely using Timmy. There is something hard. I know those people are getting you. I know they're getting in your face. And that's not who you are. But I need you to stay there. Just like I had that conversation with you in Macedonia. When I told you I was going to send you to Ephesus. Don't quit. Don't quit, Tim. Stick it out. And he said to Tim... Timothy, why did I send you there in the first place? What what was the purpose? 
What was the purpose why I sent you there? And if you're taking notes, these, this is just the roadmap. He reminds, it's to remind him to remain faithful to his task. It's number one. Number two, remind him what the task is, because he may have forgotten. And we often forget what our task is sometimes, and we need to be reminded of it. And number three, remind them about the power of God in salvation. That's where we're going. So he reminds them to stay to deal with some individuals that were straying a little bit. See, what, what happened, if you guys remember, is that in Acts chapter 20, Paul met with the Ephesian elders, if you, if you recall. And in that conversation with them, Paul said later on, what's going to happen is that false doctrines will enter. So he gave them a warning early on. And here it is, a couple years later, and exactly what Paul said was going to happen is happening. And he has Timothy there as his representative, and he's saying, Timothy, don't run. Stay there. I told you this was going to happen. I need you to speak life into this. And I need you to remind the people to stay the course to not change their doctrine. And see, many of us think, especially in this, in First Timothy, they weren't talking false theology. It wasn't false theology what was going on, and we'll see that. What was going on with these people were that they were majoring in the minors. Majoring in the minors. What do I mean by majoring in the minors? They were getting into the esoteric. They were getting into the genealogies. They were trying to figure out by the numbers what God and thought these fancy things. And oftentimes I hear people in our congregation, I've heard people in other congregations trying to figure out the mind of God. And all God wants you to know is that he died on the cross for you. To save you. Why? For the purpose of sharing his love with this world. Very simple. But so many of us want to get in there and try to figure out like as if there's something different in the gospel. There's nothing different under the sun. You're not going to get a new revelation. I, I often say, I hear people like, oh look. I, I, I found these new things in the Word. There's no nothing new. There's only one thing, Christ crucified. And that's all Paul cared about. Let's get that right. That's, that's the major thing, not the minor thing. And these guys were trying to outsmart each other in, look what I, look what I know about the Lord. Look what I know about the Gospel. I know more than you. And that's all what it was about. See, I, oftentimes I, I hear the guys get into that, right? Not the ladies so much. Guys want to outsmart. Look what I know more. Look how much knowledge I have. 
And Paul was simply saying, stop majoring in the minors. And you need to tell them that. Because he says it like this. Look what he says. Certain men not to teach false doctrines and any longer, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. What were they doing? In, in all of these discussions, have you ever gone to a Bible study and some dudes get into fights? I remember one time, and, and Michelle may have been there. I went to a Christmas, what was supposed to be a Christmas dinner, that turned into a Christmas brawl. A Christian Christmas brawl. All right? And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a nice little chunk of my chicken francais that my brother Chris Gallegos cooked. And I hear this chatter of people in the next room. And I'm going, what, what's going on? And someone says, Sal you got to stop this now. So I get up to find out what was going on. And the whole argument, I remember, was whether or not there were other people on the earth with Adam and Eve. You know, whether there were other people. And there was this great argument, and the guy goes, "You're, you're skating on thin ice, he tells the other person. And I had to stop it. That's exactly what, when you major in the minors, that's exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be controversy and just arguments. What Paul is saying is, major in the major, which is God's love. Love one another. That's the command. Then he says this. The goal of of this command, if you didn't believe me, is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but do not know what they're talking about what they so confidently affirm. If you didn't believe me, that's he says it. The major is love. How did God demonstrate his love for us? By dying on the cross, right? Saving us. That's what our goal is. Our goal is to love Timothy. So teach that doctrine. These guys are getting it wrong. They're thinking they know something about the law and they have no clue what the law is. And so what they do is they have fights and meaningless discussions that get us nowhere. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever seen that in church? Or am I just talking to, you know, it's just been me. Then he goes further, right? And he reminds them of something. 
We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. See, what were, what were they doing? They were going in and they were, they were giving the law of God. They were going back into the Old Testament and they were sitting down and whipping, bullying people at church into believing that somehow they were wrong. And they were misunderstanding what the law was for. Because all the law is supposed to do is get us back and say, I need Jesus. That's what the law was intended for, to remind you, to corral you up, to say, I need Christ. I need Jesus. See, what Paul's going to say here is, not only they didn't have a complete understanding of the law, that the law was based in love, but that they were using the law and whipping people with the law, the very same people that the law wasn't intended for. And so he says it like this. We also know that the law is, not, is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreaker and the rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for the murderers, for the adulterers, the perverts, the slave traders, the liars, and the perjurers, and for whatever else to the contrary of sound doctrine. What was the law meant for? The law was meant for those individuals that were not saved. Right? The unrighteous out there. Why? So that they could come to know Jesus. That's what the law was for. The law was to remind them, I need Jesus. Not for Christians. And so Paul's saying, hey, the law's good. But the law's not meant for a believer. Because the believers already understood the love of God on that cross. The believers already understood, I need someone other than myself to have a relationship with the Creator. It's those who don't, those who haven't come to Christ, that need that understanding, that, that, that understanding that I need Jesus that need to hear this. And these guys were thinking they were smart and thinking that they had this extraordinary understanding of God when they had zero understanding of God. And they were just simply legalists. There's not, let me not mistake, see, we often use this word legalists for someone who really adheres to the word of God. That's not what Paul is saying. You can adhere to the word of God and be faithful to God. A legalist is someone who thinks they're above and better because they do that. Right? You have to understand that you're a sinner. Simply saved by grace. That but for God, you would just be like every one of them. In fact, Titus reminded us, in Titus 3, said, 
You think because you're all cleaned up is Sal's version. You think because you're all cleaned up and God did a wonderful work in your life that you're something special now? Because you're not. It was simply because of God. Don't, don't be mistaken. As we sit in these pews and God is doing a work in our lives, the measure of God's faithfulness, the measure of maturity is how much more are you loving others than yourself. That's the measure of maturity. Are you loving? Not how much you know about the word of God. That's great. Not how much you pray. That's amazing. But how much are you loving one another? That's a true test of maturity. Because if you have love as your precept, as that foundation, everything else can grow. It's like a good fertilizer. And let's move forward. And it says... That in verse 11, that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. That conformed to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. That word blessed there, guys, is used twice in the Bible. That word blessed means happy. God is happy. He is, say it, happy when you love one another. That's the glory. That's what brings glory to God. God is happy when you love one another. And he's entrusted you and me with that happiness, with that love. Why? Because that's what the gospel is, love. When we rebuke one another, ooh, rebuke. It's because you love one another. When you encourage one another, it's because you love one another. When you pray for each other, it's because you love one another. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy Timothy, remind these people of that. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he says this, right? Hey, Timothy, right? If you don't get it, I'm going to share personally from my story. And in verse 12, he says, I thank God Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he consider me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So Paul now turns to himself and says, Timothy, I'm going to show you how this played out in my life. Or in other words, I'm going to give you my testimony, Timothy, as you already know. 
I was the chiefest of sinners, he's going to say. I was the worst man possible. And yet God decided to use me. I don't know why. He decided to say, you are the man I'm going to use. You're going to be the person that I'm going to use to spread the gospel to the, to the ends of this world. Paul, not because of anything special in you, but because I chose you. And as you look around, here's the qualification. Is anyone a sinner? Is anyone a sinner? You're a sinner? Because God came for sinners. So you have a qualification to become a child of God. You're a sinner. That's the only qualification you need to be a child of God. Be a sinner. That means for those who say, I'm not a sinner, I'm pretty good. Yeah, you're not a child of God. It's the recognition that it's nothing good in you. And that's what Paul is trying to get through Timothy's head. I wasn't good, Timothy. But God chose me. And God chose me for a greater purpose. To show through this very sinful man (laughs) that God could save even the most wretched of folks. I look around, you all kind of look kind of nice right now, but I'm sure you all have a backstory. And if you're a murderer, please don't tell me. <laughs> if you did something very vile, keep it to yourself. Maybe on testimony night, you know. But that's what, that's what Paul's saying. And he said, the grace of God, in verse 14, he says, the grace of the the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? Paul understood who he was and he understood that it was God's love poured into him. Not the other way around. He would remind us and Titus of that as well. And that's what I want you to look around. Look at each other. Take a little moment. You can even look diagonally, you know. There are some pretty wicked and vow people in here. <laughs> but he decided to save you. Why? So he could show this world that if he can save me, he can save anyone. So that's when you look at the screen, Joe Nigro, and there are certain political figures that you may not like. You can say, if God saved me, he can save anyone. We got to believe that. And then he said this, just in case you didn't get it. Verse 15, he goes, here's a trustworthy saying. They said this must have came from a hymn. They used to sing this. And this was the trustworthy saying. 
that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save what? Sinners. Sinners. Of which I've already established we all are. That's your qualification to be saved. Be a sinner. Recognize that you're a sinner needing a Savior. Then he says this, of whom I was the worst, just in case, right? He's not saying (laughs) that there weren't more evil people than him, right? But what Paul is saying is, there are some of us who dip down in sin a little deeper than others. You know what I mean? There's some of us who were deep down in that pit, sunk a little deeper than some others. And he was just saying, I sank a little deeper, and here's why. Because he's recognizing not only that he put people to death because they wanted Jesus, but that he led people to blaspheme God. See, he not only put people to death, but he got people to say, Jesus isn't real. And so that's why Paul said, I am the chiefest of sinners, because I got people to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Right? Then he says this, but for that reason, (laughs) I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example of those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Can we just say amen? Amen. Look around. People are looking at us, man. And they just need to look at true us. To understand if God could save us, he can save anyone. We just have to share the love of God with others. And then he says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God to be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a doxology. And what he's saying is, because at this time you've got to understand this, he's in Ephesus. He's under the Roman rule. Caesar Nero is the king. Caesar Nero said, I am God, I'm Savior. So what Paul is saying, he's using it, he's saying, Caesar Nero thinks he's Savior, but the true Savior is only Jesus Christ. He's invisible, you can't see him, but he's there. He's eternal, there is no beginning and no end to him. And he deserves our honor and our praise. Then he says this, Timothy, my son. He's going to wrap it up. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So that by following them, you might fight the good fight. Holding on to faith and a good conscience. 
He's saying, Timothy, I'm reminding you of your task. I'm reminding you to stay there and fight. I'm reminding you of what the majors are, not the minors. But on top of that, Timothy, I'm reminding you of what already has been said about you. I remember I was in Guatemala with Joe Niagara. We were going to Guatemala and El Salvador, and I was having a conversation with a particular um, missionary in El Salvador. And as as we were talking, with tears swelled up in his eyes, he looks at me. And by the way, I had um, part of the swelling of his eyes was because as you guys may have known, um, there was swine flu. And Joe may have remembered this. Uh, there was swine flu in El Salvador, and I got the swine flu. Anytime there's a disease out there, I just happen to get it. It gravitates to me. Um, and I had swine flu, and I didn't know. And the guy was giving me Gatorade. And as we're talking, you know, partly I think he thinks I, I, was, I was about to die. Um, but... Um, as we're talking, he, what I swelled up, he says to me, I don't think you're going to die because I think God has a bigger purpose for you than dying in El Salvador. Not the most reassuring words. Uh, not what I wanted to hear. I came back shortly thereafter and I, I made a trip with my dad to Puerto Rico and as we were at the trip in Puerto Rico my dad says to me son as we were just talking re- talking about all sorts of things he says son I never told you this but you and my you and mom we used to pray that God used you in a spectacular way. And I'm seeing that happening. But there's more that God wants from you. We see in Scripture that there are so many of the great heroes of the faith who laid hands on their sons and their daughters and they reminded them of their call. And here's Paul reminding Timothy of your call, of his call. And I'm sure that perhaps some of us in this room, hands were laid on us And we were told that we were going to do certain things for Christ or certain things would happen. And we're holding on to that. I would tell you, hold on to it because it will happen. On the flip side, I see so many people wandering this world, even in churches, 
that are lost, even in their 40s, don't know what God's purpose is for their lives. And I'm going to postulate that the reason why is because there wasn't someone in there that laid hands on them and said, Hey, young man, young woman, God has amazing things in your life for you to do. That didn't coach them up, didn't walk this life with them. Perhaps some of them didn't have moms or dads that just loved on them and cared for them enough to tell them the great things of God. And if you find yourself that you're that person, you know, come see me. I love to talk. Come see any of our pastors and leaders. We'll love to talk to you about those things that we're still holding on. But here's the challenge. I'm a young believer. I'm a believer in this. God placed me as the young adults pastor, and there are a bunch of young men and young ladies in this congregation that need you to be the pause in their lives, to lay hands on them and walk this walk with them and remind them of God's love for them, but also tell them how amazing they are and what they can do in Christ Jesus. Because many of them are wandering this world this wicked world similar to Ephesus contaminated by all sorts of things and they need to be reminded that God has a plan for them but they need you they need you to do that they need you to come alongside of them invite them over the house and break a meal with them and love on them. Just like Paul was doing here. Why? Why do I say this? Because I've been doing this for three years at Regen and I've already seen what the latter part of verse 19 says. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. They've walked away from the Lord. The only hope in this world. And they need men and women like yourselves, heroes, to come around them and love on them so that they wouldn't and won't shipwreck their faith and run into a rock. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord Father, and we thank you and we praise you. And we just ask, Lord Father, right now, Lord, that you be with us and let that those words sink in. Let us major in the major and not in the minor. And we thank you in Jesus' name.